Welcome to episode 88 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. Did you publish a book in the last year or so and it didn't take off like you hoped it would? This is an experience that a lot of my clients have had too. They knew that publishing a book was an important part of building their credibility, but they didn't realize that publishing a book and launching a book are two separate things. When I published Croissants versus Bagels, Strategic, Effective, and Inclusive Networking at Conferences in July 2017, I had set aside over a month to focus solely on the book launch part of the process. I created a landing page to gather email addresses of everyone who joined my launch team, and I finalized what the lead magnets were going to be to get readers from my book, to my website, to my email list. There are so many little things I had to think of and learn about on the fly. If you aren't happy with the results of your book, you can learn from my launch and then relaunch your book. Yes, you can create momentum around your book months later if it didn't get off the ground like you'd hoped it would, and it didn't get the reviews you need. My book had 100 reviews on launch day and 150 reviews worldwide one week later. If you'd like to learn how I did this, watch the replay of the masterclass I hosted on book launch strategies. When you sign up, you'll also receive the detailed notes I created for this one-hour presentation. And did I mention, this is all free, my gift to my fellow authors. If you'd like help with your launch or relaunch, check out my masterclass on book launch strategies at robbysamuels.com forward slash masterclass, and then reach out to me to schedule a complimentary 20-minute chat. Now, onto this week's show. Today's guest is an industry leader in building and managing personalized invitation-only communities for world-class executives, entrepreneurs, and professionals. He is CEO of The Community Company, an organization that builds community-driven programs for global brands and media companies. He's also founder of Young Entrepreneur Council, an invitation-only organization comprised of the world's most successful young entrepreneurs and founder of Forbes Councils, a collective of invitation-only organizations for top-notch executives. He's also an internationally syndicated columnist, author of Never Get a Real Job, and co-author of Super Connector, Stop Networking and Start Building Business Relationships That Matter. Please join me in welcoming Scott Gerber. Hey, everybody. Thanks for having me, man. Scott, thank you so much for joining me from your office in New York. It is so exciting to have you on here. I, I, as we were just saying a minute ago, it's like, how do we not already know each other? <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's like a supernova is about to happen. Two super connectors collide. <laughs> so this is a podcast about leadership and building strong networks. So tell me, what does leadership mean to you? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead? You know, I think the biggest aha moment for me is when I look around at my team and realize that my greatest quality is not any particular skill set that they are expert in, but that myself and my partner had the foresight to bring that group together. Uh I think the best quality of leadership is realizing that when you get the right stakeholders around you, um, when you build a community around yourself of, of any kind, whether it's a C-suite group, whether it's uh, you know, a group of people that you trust and respect for a mastermind, whatever it is, when you realize you don't know it all, and when you realize that you could surround yourself with incredibly authentic and amazing individuals that are expert in what they do, and as a group, just have a certain dynamic that in most cases would be impossible to achieve otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been truly exciting for me as we've gone from you know, myself and Ryan building our company uh, to, you know, dozens to almost 100 and, you know, people under management uh, on headcount in our company uh, to, to see how that team dynamic has still held the culture and the thinking and the, the emotional intelligence and all these things because of how we set the foundation for that team, but don't try to be Machiavellian uh, or don't try to be, uh, you know, top-down leaders uh, that, that sort of drive every single thing, but allow those individual communities to really thrive and as a result, build great opportunities for everyone. Um, so that, that's my, my, my best opinion of leadership. Um, communal, uh, 
community driven, um, in some cases a democracy, but you still have to be some authoritarian when it comes to decision making, but uh, leading by consensus because you've put together smart people that deserve to be heard. That's awesome. And it sounds like you've seen a real payoff for having invested up front in building that kind of space. And I think a lot of people make the mistake of throwing together whatever they can to get started and then trying to course correct later. Yeah, right? I mean, it, earlier in my career, uh, I, I in my first book, I talk about this, um, uh, this experience. I call it the company that shall not be named um, because it was the worst experience, which obviously at this point in my life is like the best thing that could have happened to me, right? Fail flat on your face every way humanly possible when you're in your early 20s and, you know, whatever. You have a lifetime still to live and learn and survive and thrive. Um, but one of the biggest mistakes I recalled in that book was around the partners I had chosen for the initial business. Um, I, I jokingly said that one of my partners partners considered Fridays hot tub Fridays because that was his moment to, you know, to take it all in and learn and think. And it's just like, dude, you're just being a lazy who's doing nothing and taking off a day. Like, yet we're still invested the same financially, yet we're still trying to drive this business together, but your head's not in the game. So I think there's something to be said about leadership and partnership really going hand in hand. I mean, at the end of the day, I have had the, the, amazing ability uh, to really help select uh, with my partner these incredible people that have taken our vision and run with it. And yet I have no other skill set beyond that. I love to, love to, when people ask me questions or like college students will ask me questions when I speak, like um, they'll say, you know, how, what is it like to be a CEO? And I tell them, I don't know. I'll let you know when I learn how to do it. Um, because because I've just had the fortune of really just being surrounded by great people because I've been burned so badly by what happens when you're not thoughtful about that process. When it's like, oh, you're at the bar with a buddy and you're right on the napkin, you know, and, and now you're partners and it's like, oh, but he's going to medical school, but that's okay. We'll figure it out later. Like, you know, that, that, that's really been a defining moment is, is great people, great partnerships and having a keen sense of culture and dynamic, uh, mm-hmm. I, I think have led, led to our successes. So were there moments early on in your life, like really early, like grade school, high school, college, where you stepped into leadership or people saw that potential in you or were you kind of quietly observing the room from the sidelines? Like, where do you fall on that? Well, I'm sure anybody that's already listened to the first two minutes of this can probably say I was never really quiet nor on the sidelines. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But no, I think I was always trying to lead in some way. I mean, uh, you know, back then uh, people think I went to um, business school at NYU whenever I say I went to NYU. I actually went to film school, um, uh, which is just showing you how education in some ways is uh, less important than the social environments you put yourself in. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, when I was even in high school and middle school, I was always looking to, you know, direct the high school play or produce the student-run production or, you know, things that I felt I could, I could lead in that regard. And so I think I had an early sense, not of necessarily what I wanted to do, but the the idea of building, you know, teams uh, and mm-hmm. and creating a project that was a, a mutual collaboration for a, a big result, I think is something that in various forms of my life I was always big on. Um, it wasn't until again, sort of, I went through college and had this failed business that you know I took into the ground after making every mistake possible because I didn't surround myself with the right people and then had the fortune of surrounding myself with the wrong people uh, mm-hmm. that I really learned my most valuable lessons uh, of how to do it right or at least put it in the right way to then hopefully it turns out the way you want. Um, but, but I think that I was always born with the idea that a team of one uh, is no team at all. Uh, that to create great work and to create great people uh, in a collaboration is uh, the greatest reward of building a business because, you know, just it is an isolating thing in most cases to be a CEO or in a C-suite of a company of any size. Uh, and, but if you build the right team around you while you have to make final decisions, it does not mean that you're doing it in an isolated echo chamber. And, and that's, that's something that I find really powerful. You know, you're actually reminding me of a local politician here in Boston who the way he ran his campaign for office the very first time was very, very different than all the other campaigns I've ever even heard of. And it drew me in. Like, I am sort of like done with the normal door-to-door politics. But he was really about building a team and as they were building that campaign. And so much so that, you know, he... Uh, he was a coach for his kids' t- uh, sports team. So he would leave really intense debate meetings about 
what they were going to do next because it was his turn to go coach. But he knew he was leaving the right people in the room to make the best decision for him possible. And he trusted them. And he, he came in and spoke at a class that I was teaching at the time a number of years ago. And he said, you know, I want to be doing what I intend to be doing in office as I'm trying to get into office, not do whatever I can, like Machiavellian style, and then try to create this like great experience. I want to attract to me the people who will be with me when I'm in office. And he got there, you know, and he served and he's now like still doing things in administration. And it was just such a good experience. He's like, even if I fail to, you know, be elected, I will still have drawn to me this collection of people that I know we're going to do great things together. And if I get in, I'll have them with me already. And so it sounds like that's a lesson that you learned too. Yeah. I mean, the right tribe is everything is sort of the bottom line here. I I just think there comes a moment where you have to, you you know, figure out what the vision is, but then a real test of a leader's ability is to surround him or herself with people that buy into that vision, but take from it what they will to execute on it. Um, I think that most leaders fail when they don't have people lined on vision um, or create fiefdoms or create a bureaucratic way in which they're delegating based on certain things that are irrelevant to the overall goal. Mm. Um, You know, my, my, my biggest piece of advice um, and I'm not big on advice, you know, it sounds funny. I guess I have to given, you know, things like writing books or whatever, but uh, every experience is individualized. But from a piece of advice that I would always say is just, if you surround yourself with great people, even if you fail, even if the business goes under, um, you will never have failed entirely. Right. Uh, you will have created a team that can bond for the future. Um, you will have created a series of steps on how to think uh, smarter around who did you miss in that team uh, or, or who was not the right fit. Uh, and so I think no matter what, I'm never a proponent of a team of one um, because it just – the end of the day, I just I don't believe no one person has the skill set that it takes to run an operation of any size mm-hmm. or magnitude of, of value or scale, of scale. Well, and I've also uh, heard and witnessed that venture capitalists invest in the person, not the idea, right? Because mm-hmm. if the person knows how to do what you just described, they'll eventually land on a good idea. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, and if they're if they have a great idea but they're not good at building the right team around them, then the idea probably won't work, even if it's a great idea. Absolutely. I mean, again, you, it's if, if everybody has a general consensus around we're going to work together and figure it out, you're building a sisterhood or a brotherhood. That oh, yeah. There, there is no turning back, right? <laughs> I mean, that's why I think my partner and I are such great partners at the highest level of the business because – look, we're both in the same place in life. I have four kids. He's got two. We're both married. Like when we went all in, like families were being started. Like if he or I were like the partying bachelor um, and, you know, not aligned both not only in vision in the business, but in life, um, I think that that's a real problem, right? Mm -hmm. You really need to go all in with the people around you because there's such a trust, such a bond of experience. Um, You know, there's going to be some horrible times. And believe me, I I have seen horrible times. (laughs) I've seen what, oh my God, we have two weeks and then what we're going to do about payroll. Um, You know, several years ago, I I remember like yesterday, I, 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 it was one of the more defining moments in our partnership where we sold our way out. We figured it out, but you know what? That allowed us to hire more great people that did great things. And today we are where we are. So, you know, I like to think of it as if you get the right people to to buy into your vision and to believe in you, then good yeah. times are bad. Uh, it's always going to be a roller coaster no matter what, but good times are bad. You've always got people that have got your back and that's a big deal. So what do you find most rewarding about the work that you're doing now? That I get to meet amazing people every day. Um, you know, as a, as a natural connector of people, I'm naturally curious about everything about everyone, right? Um, which I, I found in writing the book, Super Connected with Ryan, uh, is not a, an everyday um, trait, sadly. Uh, people being curious about other people or caring about other people. Um, you know, this idea that uh, there's a certain group of people that live by a certain code uh, and that's just how they're built. I think you would uh, you know, be in that category as well. You know, it's exciting when you put yourself into an environment that constantly allows you to connect with just people that are stellar, um, you know, and, and so I think that's what really gets me jived every day. And then figuring out, you know, obviously when I meet people, how to create valuable moments for them, but being in a company that allows me to create value at scale uh, for, you know, some of the most prestigious world-class executives or thought leaders or uh, entrepreneurs in the world, you know, there's, there's meaning to that. You know, there's real value in being able to say, okay, like, 
Now it's funny, like we, we help members of our various uh, communities create highly valuable content that ends up on some of the largest media uh, properties in the world, like Forbes and others. Like we're publishing thousands of people. Like that, that is like more powerful in some ways than the large, you know, an editor in chief of one publication would ever have authority. So there's a level of not only value, but responsibility that comes with that of guiding this, this sort of, you know, principled group of ethical world-class people to shine their best light on what society should be and know about. Like that's incredibly like, like rewarding for me. Um, Mm. So, so, so I think that there's just this moment where uh, I wake up in the morning and say, you know, we built something here that truly does create impact uh, for, for business professionals. And and that's really exciting. That's really awesome. And I love that you've cracked this formula where, all the online tools have in some ways almost made it harder for people to do the face-to-face. Like those of us that, you know, remember a time when phone calls happened all the time, you know, like that was the way we, made, you know, checked in on each other or we dropped in on each other because we lived near all the people we needed to know. This is no longer the case. And I feel like it's sort of dull the senses for some people who are just like, oh, I'll just resort to the online. But you've, you've found a way to sort of harness the online to still create great communities. Was that challenging to kind of, are people getting also face-to-face through your communities or or how are you kind of working those sort of extremes of communication? Sure. So first and foremost, and I correct everyone on this lovingly, like I love how messed up in the heads we all are about how we've all of a sudden said there's a real world and there's the online world. You know, isn't that crazy? Like that a couple of years ago, it's just, there's humanity, there's people. And now it's like, well, how do you communicate in the online world versus the real world? And it's just, that's how we've been retrained by society. And so there's nothing wrong with it saying it, but it goes to show you how messed up relationship building has become by the titans of the online world and, you know, by certain what I'll call underhanded or uh, antiquated networking practices. And so, you know, I think to take it all back, we just simply say, what brings humanity back into the equation? right? You know, technology came and was meant to amplify humanity. It wasn't meant to supplant it. And I think somewhere along the line, we all had this idea that because this is easier, let's just go the path of, you know, going that route because that's lazy, quick. Oh, and now we can growth hack it. Now we can scale it, you know, and forgot the whole freaking point was to actually meet and talk to another human being, right? And pardon the language, but that's the insanity of the moment we're in right now. And so taking it back to your question, when we look at building communities, I want to build communities that build relationships. And yes, there's an online component, but there's also a real world component or what I'll call actual human relationship development. Um, because we know it's that, that real relationships are multidimensional. It doesn't mean you can't meet someone in the online world and go real world or vice versa. Um, but I think that when you look at the idea of a relationship and how we view it, you know, it's the idea that we're just using data on people to make smarter, more time efficient ways to maximize what would be most mutually beneficial rather than trying to create a platform that does all the work for you, right? It has all the magic button that all of a sudden makes you best friends and someone's going to do something for you for the rest of their lives. Um, And so I think we're in this really unique moment right now of community building where technology provides some of the best tools. Uh, Case in point, I mean, we are thousands of miles apart right now, but it feels like we're having a cup of coffee together, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But yet we're having a real deep conversation. Now that might be because we're having a podcast moment, but I argue that this didn't have to just be a podcast moment. This could just be, hey, Robbie, you know, you're somebody we should, we should connect. Here's why let's connect. And boom, technology made us instantly next to each other. But it doesn't, if we just sort of did it over text message for the first time, it's cheating that. So I think that we try to create moments for people to take friction out of relationship building so that they can remove the noise, start where they're comfortable and then end up in a place where it's meaningful. I think that's what we found most successful. Case in point, uh, later this week with YEC, we're doing our national summit. It's one of the biggest events YEC does every year. We take about 60 or so people to a, a, a mountain in Eden, Utah, and just like, it is the most crazy, awesome conversation meets adventure, meets like sad and happy moments, like across the spectrum. like. But it's, it's, it's real and it's raw. And yes, a lot of these people have never met before they walk in that room through other than a social channel. 
but now we've taken it and completed the relationship making process. That's so, so great. I know. I really appreciate your very thorough answer, Scott, because I value all the online tools. I love them all. And I, I've actually, all the like coffee chats that I used to have, you know, years ago, have now become all virtual coffee chats because now I have people far flung around the world that I want to get to know. And so I love that I can do that really easily. I love that I can record some of those conversations and they're on a podcast and I can share their message. Um, but I also really, really value getting in person and whether that's going to great meetups like what you're talking about, like a big conference or an intensive space like that, that's intentional. Um, but I also think that because the people have connected beforehand, like what they're able to kind of get to the space, the, the energy level, the willingness to be vulnerable in that space, it's much easier to do that because they've already, okay, yes, I, I kind of know these people. They're good people. I have all these shared values in common with them. And now look at us. We're in the same room together. Let's do something. Mm-hmm. So I think it actually, like, if you're only going to meet once a year in person, having these channels throughout the year to connect is like, makes that, amplifies that moment incredibly, right? And it makes it so much more possible um, than the, I traveled here, I don't know anybody, I'm starting from scratch sort of mentality, which is why, you know, my book was focused initially, my first book's on on conference spaces, because that's a space where people do spend a lot of time, money, energy, resources to go, but they don't often do this sort of pre-work. So they yep. show up with no plan, no strategy, no purpose, and they get to the end of a long weekend, they're, you know, they're either like, jazz because they just met a lot of cool people but they don't have any value out of it there's nothing there's nothing that's going to help their business mm-hmm. or they're like, exhausted because they met a lot of people <laughs> and yeah. they still Absolutely. feel like they got no value out of it so i'm like that's the piece that i i tend to focus on now but yes like creating these sort of curated it sounds like what you're doing is creating very curated mm-hmm. top-notch spaces where people can can connect with each other yep I have a question for you, though, along those lines. Do you see any differences generationally about how people interact with your business model? Or is it really kind of working for everybody these days? You know, I think it works so far for everyone because, the intent, again, when, we, when you're creating business professional communities, by verticalizing it uh, by either industry or by creating, again, a community of like-minded shared values like with the entrepreneur sectors, matched with revenue metrics, you can really create create moments for these people where whether you're doing it by phone, email, uh, chat, Facebook group, individual mastermind, you're creating a group of people that should know each other. Again, I think our biggest claim to fame here, as I said earlier, is we're, we are every day trying to figure out how do we remove as much friction from the relationship building process as possible um, and creating, and your words are perfect, safe spaces that people are already trusting of because of the sort of containers that they're in, that they are okay to maybe open up a little bit more or accept direct or indirect relationship uh, connections by our, uh, our folks. So I think there's these moments that we're looking to create for people. In the older generations, you know, it's, it's the kind of thing where, face-to-face is still the norm and there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, I think um, other than trying to hack more efficiencies to get more face-to-face, I think that they can actually teach a lot to Generation Y and soon-to-be Z. On the other hand, what I think that I've learned that Gen Y can show other generations and show Gen Z um, is that there's a combination of creating these moments that you can get what you want, but at a much more productive pace. An example I, I, I share from uh, our book from Super Connector is, you know, we have a number of Super Connector uh, folks we talked about who are constantly asked to do like coffee meetings, right? And and so, you know, the idea of being a community builder by net, by definition and nature of what we find to be most of the most successful Super Connectors are is this idea that, well, I'm not going to do a one-on-one coffee meeting, but if I'm asked 10 times over two weeks, I'm just going to bring these folks together and I'm going to have one hour of 10 people that is more meaningful and I'm going to provide all of them with context about one another prior, which means that I'm going to be seen as the center of a sphere of influence that is creating this cross-collaboration where I can hear at all these different conversations and then determine who do I maybe think makes the most sense for me to invest more time in based on where I think I can create the most value, but looking at it from a larger pool. Whereas I think the older 
generations would look at it still as, let me take this coffee meeting with one person. Neither is right or wrong, but there's different ways to look at your day and, and time and max efficiency of being a connector. So, so I think that there is certainly something to be learned across the boards. I am scared for Gen Z because I really don't believe that any, they, they can't do anything but this all day, right? The phone. Da, 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 da. Um, and that's, you know, I thought that Gen Y was terrible. Gen Z is horrible. Um, and so I think there's going to be a reckoning that, you know, and you're seeing it now with social media, like platforms like Facebook and others trying to bring back some of that humanity because they've gone so far astray, seeing what the damage that these things are being done to the younger generations. Um, I am curious to see how the next generations will solve some of these challenges in their own productive ways. There will always be an echelon of connectors in any generation, um, but who are going to be the ones to really do the standout stuff that matters and still creates those meaningful relationships that I'm very curious to see what happens. I am as well. And you're right. Like I, I didn't know you could uh, see anyone be more on a phone than someone in Gen Y, but Gen Z is definitely growing up surrounded by that. So um, <laughs> it will be interesting. And I think we're, we're creating models now for people to, to try out to see that there are other ways of being that sort of like blends all the experiences that these different generations have. And then they can find a more comfortable fit for then still expanding their world, diversifying their network and having meaningful connections that really you know, propel them forward into whatever work they're trying to do. Speaking of propelling yourself forward, though, I'm 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 kind of curious about the things you're not so good at because you know there's always the like everything else. <laughs> <laughs> I know I heard everything you say it earlier. So, like, it sounds like your answer to to that really is like about surrounding yourself with the right people, right? Like always, always. There is. How, uh, at what point did you become aware of what you weren't good at, though? Is this like you went into this knowing, like, I know there's certain things like I'm great at, and then. Like, how did you have that self-assessment or self-awareness? Great question. So first and foremost, my one skill set that I do believe I've always had is emotional intelligence and self-awareness. I do believe I've had Mm. really strong insights there. What I didn't have was (laughs) smart enough intuition to listen to my (laughs) self-awareness and emotional intelligence. (laughs) So good. Um, So uh, that's the problem, right? I could identify that I sucked at something, but my ego at the time wouldn't allow me to do the, uh, the right uh, action as a result. And this is going back to my early twenties. Um, thankfully I've learned my lessons since, um, you know, again, I tried it. I, I tried to build a company by myself and I almost bankrupted myself before I was 21. Um, there is no greater, uh, moment in your life than realizing you're going to have to go back at a young age and live on your parents' couch because you failed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is like sort of that defining moment at that age. I think the defining moment horribly later in life is losing your house or you know, something obviously of more financial consequence. But at that time, you know, it's, oh my God, I've, I've learned the world. I've had the hard knocks. I've gotten the education and now I'm going to go live on my parents' couch. Like, right. Like that's, that's like the horror story of like, you know, a young 20. Um, and so after failing God knows how many times I sort of finally said, what do I suck at? Um, and I identified very clearly that I was great at selling business development, public speaking, like basically the visionary of a company. Um, and I don't mean that with ego. I mean like there are visionaries and there's execution executors, right? Um, but I was horrible at operations. I think when I learned how I bankrupted myself, when I dissected all of my challenges, I learned that my operations were half-assed. I had no systems. I spent way more than I should have in almost every facet of business. Um, I had no checks and balances on how to weigh opportunities. So everything was an opportunity. Uh, and when you look at that, looking back, I frankly was an idiot. Um, but, but, you know, 2020 hindsight, it is what it is. But when you look at that, you say, okay, what fits that role? And I think... In meeting my partner, Ryan, um, you know, who is the introvert to my extrovert, who is the absolute execution guy to my move forward, type A, get it done personality, uh, who is the thoughtful, let's take a breath before we move to my, no, we've got to kill the market right now. When you put those two people in a room, you are creating uh, two very unique things. One a success plan that's going to win and two, a volcano in a bottle that erupts on a daily basis in the best way possible. Right? Because that's how business and life should be. It shouldn't be clean and it shouldn't be dirty. It should just be just constant knocking heads, right? Um, to get the best answer. So I think the biggest moment for me was meeting Ryan and seeing what the other side of that looked like. 
before that I hadn't had anyone in my life who sort of stood up even as an introvert and said, Scott, there's a horrible idea. Scott, that's a stupid way to spend money. Scott, shut up and let's take this opportunity first before that one. And to an extrovert that listens to that, yeah, that's a moment. Yeah, you know what I mean. That's that's something where you say to yourself, either a, I'm going to kill this guy, or maybe he has a point. You yeah. know. Um, so I think well, that was the moment. That was the moment. Be- to find, that's so beautiful. That. I love that because I'm an outgoing extrovert myself, and I um, work with a lot of people who who really fall on the shy end of the outgoing shy spectrum, and on the more on the introvert side of the introvert extrovert spectrum around like where they get their energy. And part of why I think they're attracted to working with me is that I acknowledge the gifts they have to offer. And it sounds like what you found in Ryan are the gifts you really needed to balance out kind of who you were in the world. And that the, the gift you gave him was the, <laughs> that you listened finally. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it sounds funny, right? I mean, this goes back to where we started this conversation. I know that in, in being self-aware about where I could provide value, it was the idea of building team. I was always very good at finding the right person for a job. Obviously, in this case, it was a partnership. Um, but you know that then led to the smart CFO and then the smart BD guy and then the great you know tech team. And, and, and so again, that is where I excelled. Mm. Understanding, I think, sort of coming full circle here, understanding that I couldn't do it all. And then I did need that circle of advisors uh, of people that could put me in check where need be, but believe in what I was building. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's where I think the consensus leadership sort of style really worked very well. Because once I did develop that, once I did start listening, once I did get more mature um, from where I started, I mean, today... You know, there are systems to, you know, whether I'm sitting in the CEO chair or someone else, there are systems in place because we're a real company. The CEO can't just go off the rails and be like, all right, we're moving the whole business tomorrow, you know, but that's because we've designed it that way through this consensus leadership. Um, And I'm grateful for that because otherwise I like to say in the words of the dearly departed Chris Farley of Saturday Night Live fame, uh, I would be living in a van down by the river eating a steady diet of government cheese. I mean, it's the reality if I operated my own business. So you said uh, repeatedly you can't do it all yourself. And I also imagine that you've, you've now come to accept that there are actual limits on the amount of time you have in a day, <laughs> um, which is another thing I think in our early 20s we don't accept. <laughs> um, so you know, I, this is a, a question I ask everybody, but I think it is, feels particularly appropriate to ask someone who's an entrepreneur because when you love what you do, there's no really like on and like I'm working, I'm at my desk and now I'm home and I'm not working at all. There, there, there's usually bringing a lot of stuff with you. You're always thinking about your business. You're always kind of like fiddling with the next big thing in your head. So I, I'm curious, like, when, well, one question is, when do you know that you're not at work? I mean, you've got four kids. Right, so you've got a whole family life. I I have a just over two year old, and like a at the time of recording this, a seven week old. So I'm, you know, I'm I'm in that space too. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, like, is there a, is there something you do to kind of have some time that feels separate, or does it all feel really integrated? Well, it goes back to what I've been saying. I think as an ongoing note here, uh, starts with a great partnership, and thankfully my wife is a saint um, because it's not easy to deal with me. And I understand that because I am always thinking, and my wife knows that about me. It is, I do not turn off. Um, whether that's good or bad, I don't know. I'm being honest. Um, I think there are times when, of course, like anybody that wants to be a great dad and a great husband, I could probably turn off more. Um, I'm getting better at sort of segmenting time, like going on a vacation, like I will put my phone in the lockbox for the day. I've thing, done right? that. <laughs> yep. I just, you have to, you have to, because it, again, it's, yep. it's, it's psychosis. I mean, I hate to say it, but it's, 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 it's just needed. Um, but I think that if you find the right partner in life, everything else sort of fits. Somebody that does, that you go into life partnership, it doesn't fully get you is probably not the right person for you because I, I think here's what I have determined. In any marriage or any partnership, you could change a lot, but you can't change entirely, right? (laughs) Um, And I think anybody that asks you to change entirely, it's the wrong fit. My wife is someone who is very cognizant that she married someone who is who he is. Um, And I think she is proud of that, and I I hope she is. (laughs) Um, 
And I think she's excited that we have had, I mean, four kids alone is, is a startup unto itself, uh, probably harder than any actual business for sure. Um, but in finding someone who could fill the void that I believe I have, which is needing to be on, um, I need someone who can, for our children's sake, be off. Mm. Um, and be present more than I can and be caring, not more than I can, but in the moments that she's needed to do so when I can't be there. I think that that is where we have found what I'll call our work-life balance. Now, does that mean I'm a terrible father and husband? No. But like anybody who is driven and ambitious, and my wife certainly in her own right is driven and ambitious. She has her own business as well. Um, you know, you find that mutual ground, you find ways to support each other and to be there. I mean, my biggest goal in life is not to make millions of dollars. I've done that. I mean, just being honest, I mean, I'm 30 something years old now and you know, we do that. That has been achieved. But my biggest goal is one day for my children to look at what the journey I took was and not feel as if they need to follow it. Cause I'd never want to put a shadow on my kids. I think that's the, that's the sin of all sins. Um, but to know that I have seen it all and done it all and that I will be there for them whatever their journey uh, needs to be or wants to be, but that I can be their biggest supporter because I've done what I've done, regardless mm. of that path taken. Whereas I think certain parents would be more choosing like what my parents would have preferred at the time. What's that job, which is the joke of why I named my last book, never get a real job. Cause that was all I heard for my entire life. What are you going to do for real job? What's your real work? You know? Um, and, and I would never wish that, on someone unless that was their goal. So I think hopefully that answers the question, but I just being very truthful about it, don't believe in work-life balance. I don't believe someone turns Mm -hmm. on and off. And I believe people that say they're totally off or on or find this amount of time every time to make sure they're off. I think they're being disingenuous and lying to make themselves feel better or to make their partner believe something that isn't true. (laughs) Well, two thoughts. One is I think there should be a group for partners of people, like our partner (laughs) people. (laughs) they could group. I think they would really like, (laughs) we should really, seriously, we should figure out to create like their space and Facebook world for the partners of people like us. Um, We can call it pop, you know, partners (laughs) of people. Um, And then the other is, I'm curious whether you have any kind of habits, rituals that help you sort of center yourself. Do you have like a, I mean, are you doing like Miracle Morning or some other sort of practice like that? So I, I, uh, I'm probably the worst person to ask about like, what's the cool new hot diet thing or what's the, like, I just, that's not my jam. Right. Um, I think what centers me is, you know what? I walk my kids to school in the morning. I change diapers. Um, you know, I am, I keep myself as grounded as possible because I've met people on both sides of that spectrum. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that's really my biggest thing. I try to remain as grounded as possible. And whereas my vision for the business is grow, grow with intent, uh, intentionally and with meaning and ethics, I think in my family life, it is grow so that people in my family circle are provided for, and that we can make meaningful things happen in their lives for them and that they are proud. How old are your Um, kids? Seven, five, about to be three and newborn. Wow. Wow. Very in it. Yeah, very, very in it. You and I <laughs> both. Although I'm I'm done with two. God bless that you kept going. <laughs> As a non-religious person, I'm gonna bless you anyway. So um, <laughs> so I have to uh, wonder though, as a super connector who's got your hands on so many different projects, you're meeting tons and tons of people. Um, you've had a very interesting sort of winding career life, like you said, uh, dabbling in different things. Are there any uh, intentional ways that you nurture and sustain your relationships. For instance, Dory Clark, uh, who we both know, you know, regularly has dinners, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Um, I know other yep. people, when they travel for work, they visit people they know in the cities are going to, and they make that a habit. Um, yep. Are you doing that? And, and like, how are you keeping track of what you do? And or is it more happenstance and like, you're like, whatever comes by on Facebook is what I see. <laughs> well, the good news is when you own a company that is building communities at right. scale, uh, meeting people's not usually the problem. Right. <laughs> um, uh, I think we are just so in it in our business that I am always trying to, you know, go to the things that we're going to have uh, as many members as possible at to meet as many of people that are uh, in our worlds as possible. 
Um, I obviously have my own sort of private tribe of mentors or advisors that I keep in constant touch with, whether it's through video chat, whether it's, you know, catching up on video message or audio message. Um, I rarely do things like text to catch up. I'll, I'll keep it more personal in that sense. If I can't see someone in person, um, I, always am like I don't believe in going to conferences in the sense of the traditional conference patronage I think this is sort of something you were alluding to earlier based on uh, your belief system you know I will look at who's going to be attending a conference and sort of like my partner create this oasis or safe space that I will bring the people I want to meet together outside of the event um, yes. and have that more one-on-one or one-on several conversational uh, series of meetings uh, or, or get-togethers or drinks or whatever it is so you know I use other people's real estate whenever possible that is bringing and curating a larger group to further curate downward either for new people I'd like to meet uh, or for those that I already do or colliding both of those worlds together. Um, so, so I think that while I don't have, I mean, we, we certainly have um, a lot of connector friends who like do something every quarter, like Jason Bazaar, um, you know, really big connector in Los Angeles, owns a company called Comparably, formerly of uh, DocStock, you know, does every time he's in New York, like gathers everybody together twice a year sometimes uh, at the standard, same meal, same everything. And it's, you know, everybody gets together. That's like his thing. Uh, Jason Gagnard, Mastermind Talks is doing obviously these robust dinner meetings and then his big event every year. Um, you know, so, so I don't have anything as methodical, but I think that's just because of the kind of business I'm in that we're always surrounded. It's just figuring out the right ways to maintain the meaningful nature of those conversations and connections yeah. with the real estate that we're working with. So I'm curious, as you've uh, been building and curating your network, how you think about the diversity of that network. Is it purposeful? And then, and if so, well, what are the ways you've made an, an intentional effort to meet people who maybe don't fit exactly your experiences in life and your own passions. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny, right? I mean, when we started YEC back in 2010, the ethos was we wanted to create a group of people that would give back to the next generation of young entrepreneurs. So a lot of the people that initially joined really had that mission burned into their hearts because that's just what we all care about. Um, And so with that was obviously this idea before it was professionalized and became an organization and all that stuff, uh, that that mission statement was implanted in the chest of the first, you know, couple hundred people that joined uh, this sort of informal group of people. Um, That then turned into this bubble of, you know, the people who knew the people that also would share that mission, bringing them in. And so my biggest thing in, in sort of my, I don't like to call it an arsenal because I hate terms like that. We don't, we don't live by tactics or tips or tricks or whatever. I live by frameworks and mindset, right? My biggest mindset shift is if you create a great curated space and a great concept for the construct of a community that it will by nature find other amazing people. Um, and so even though like you might've known Nick and Nick is in the junk removal business, but you knew Nick because you spoke at a conference together about entrepreneurship, you're probably not going to know a lot of other people in the home services industry in Florida when you live in New York, but Nick knows 10 other amazing people in the home service space and brings them in. And now through the indirect association, a natural bond can be formed. And so I think that we've really established this framework for consistent indirect access to people that have become fortuitous in the form of direct access that have built the relationships and foundation for such. So I think that's really been the framework that's worked for us rather than constantly going out and meeting and meeting and meeting. Um, Even today, most of the people that have made it into what I'll call my inner circle of those that are truly my most, you know, like call anytime good or bad type relationships, you know, has been because those initial 10 became 20 and then the 21st brought the 22nd. Um, and the reason the 21st brought the 22nd is because the 21st knows me so well and every part of me that they'll know what the 22nd should bring to that equation in terms of value to the overall group and what I can bring in value in exchange, um, but still not be transactional or, or looking at the relationship as a one-to-one. So, you know, that, that's the kind of world I think we've lived in, but that's been after many, many years of developing trust in these spaces that allow for the idea that if I do go into a new market or a new thing with my company, that they know we've been doing this a long time. It's not just, you know, I woke up one morning and said, man, wouldn't it be great to better connect XYZ people, you know? Right. Um, so, so there's a lot of, a lot of heritage and tra- tradition and things that have been built into, you know, every introduction and every convened space uh, at this stage in our, in our company and at this stage of my professional career. So Scott, what would you say in a sort of succinct way is the benefit of having a diverse professional network? Like why should people strive to do that? 
because it's diverse thinking too. I mean, the reality is we, we, we have become a nation in a world of eco chambers, um, good or bad, right? I mean, look, if your company is going downhill, maybe it's not smart to just talk to the people that have insights into your industry versus more original thinking that have no concept of your business model, but have a different way of thinking about the problem versus the specific product, right? Um, if you are looking for meaningful insights, then sometimes, you know, you need things you have not thought through. Um, you, you know, I often say the best people to know are your biggest opponents. Your big, not because they're against you, but because uh, they will debate you tooth and nail on everything you think. It doesn't mean you have to all of a sudden believe in every single word their contrarian opinion might believe uh, wholeheartedly, but it does mean that you can open your mind and eyes and ears to a whole new reality of, of at least a framework on how to better think through things. So, you know, I think there's something to that. I also think that when you meet other people, again, professionally, it allows you to think about opportunity in a new way in a new light too, you know, whereas maybe you were only thinking this is the straight and narrow path, you know, maybe zigzagging or going, you know, to the left or right in a new way of moving your model to a new market or a new way of thinking because you see something that you didn't see before, but that would fit very well in what you do. I mean, case in point, I don't think anybody would have predicted that we could take the model of YEC, which on the outside to the world was a young entrepreneur organization but to us became a model for building community and then say, oh, let's just go after media companies to use their brand ethos and turn those into robust executive networks. I mean, I still go into meetings today with some of the largest publications and uh, media companies in the world. And they look at me like, how the hell did you think of this? It's just not obvious, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, because we see what they've created in a fundamentally different light than they see it because mm-hmm. they're narrow-minded in selling eyeball advertising or or whatever the case may be, but we see it as you've built trust with millions of people. Or if you could take a slice of that trust in a certain market and convene them in an all new way to build an all new value set. And it's like, whoa, sign me up. That sounds great. I've never thought of that before. But it's all because you're opening yourself up to a number of different realities instead of linear thinking. Um, you can't do that if you surround yourself with a lot of yes people. You can't do it if you surround yourself with a lot of the same people. So I think that's the important diversity of that work. I am so appreciative of that whole very, very clear uh, answer. My focus of my next book is actually going to be about sort of the importance of diversifying your network and then examples of how people go about doing it. Because I think uh, you don't always have to be the one who takes a, like, you know, innovates and, and, and creates something from scratch. Not everyone has the entrepreneurial spirit, but you need to see an opportunity. Like when you see someone's doing something that you can plug into that would help you expand your worldview, you need to see that as, oh yeah, I can't miss that. Um, I'm going to go to that dinner. I'm going to go to that conference. I'm going to go to the Renaissance weekend. I have no idea who I'm going to meet, but I'm going to go. And I think you have to be like really both open and appreciate what a gift that is to be in a space like that, where people do have that sort of shared value kind of space, but also really divergent uh, ways of living in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been really fortunate to kind of come to that over the years on my own. And now I'm able to meet more and more people like yourself who are doing it. Um, so I'm curious, you know, I, I so want to stay in touch, Scott. This is my last sort of big question for you. It's not that big, I guess. But I want to keep connecting and I want to check in with you a year from now and hear all the amazing things that you've been up to. I want to know what will we be celebrating that you've accomplished in the year ahead? That's a great context question. See, we talk about that in the book too. That's how I know you passed the connector test. <laughs> um, what will we be celebrating? I think, you know, look, I mean, I'm very blessed to have a wonderful family and an amazing company that I'm just, I'm excited to wake up in the morning in a time when a lot of people aren't. Um, I think really we my partner and I have put our heart and soul into writing Super Connector, not because we're trying to make millions of dollars in selling a book, but because we do believe there are fundamental ways that you can rethink how to actually build relationships from the people that do it every day successfully that if you ask the people they were connecting with, if you ask people they're connecting together, how they think, how they act, they are always top of mind, yet they're always the first ones that you would praise based on their giving and their habitual practices in this regard. And I just think we are at a moment in time with social media and all these other things that have fundamentally changed the most frankly basic thing, which is human connection, and bastardize it like a marketing tactic. And so if I was going to sum that up to say, where are we going to be in a year? I'm hoping that the book and subsequent other conversations around the topics it, it contains 
begin to start conversations around, well, how do we stop thinking like MLM hucksters? How do we stop talking as out for oneself takers? How do we stop being this just like tunnel visions, you know, shake hand, hand business card, look who's next in line type people. And maybe say, is this a really good idea or not? So maybe while that's not practical from a, oh my God, like world changing construct, but even if a small subset of people actually audit themselves for five seconds and say, wow, that, sh- that stuff I learned in that book and subsequent conversations actually seems good and reach out to me on Twitter and say, Scott, thank you for doing this. Like in setting the framework for now, how I can develop and rethink the way I meet other people, I will consider it a win. And if that happens with many people, wonderful. But I think that's what we'll be celebrating. The idea that we made an impact on helping people actually create a new way to meet people. That's awesome. Well, I, I'm so looking forward to meeting you and Ryan when I'm in New York. And I also want to put a shout out to all the people listening. What you just heard is if you ever read something and it impacts you, no matter who wrote it, or you watch something and you were like, wow, that changed my world, go and find them and tell them because people like us that are creating content and putting it out into the world, we don't always get that feedback. And it could be months, if not years, from the point that we conceived of an idea and it finally it has a ripple effect. So please, like, that's a great entry point for meeting new people and like, you know, sharing your appreciation for their gift to the world. So speaking of which, how can people find you and follow your work, Scott? Well, you could definitely follow my partner and I at Scott Gerber or at Ryan Paw. Uh, at S-C-O-T-T-G-E-R-B-E-R or uh, Ryan, R-Y-A-N-P-A-U-G-H on Twitter. Uh, You can also go to superconnectorbook.com and and check out the connectors about the book and all that jazz. Um, But, you know, definitely check it out. Let us know what you think. And if you are uh, awesome enough, go uh, check out the book everywhere books are sold. And we'd really appreciate you spreading the word about connector philosophy because God knows you don't want to be that guy that's shaking the hand of that person at the conference getting the business card in one hand, getting the patter about who they are with the other and know they're looking over your shoulder of who's next in line to actually be like, wow, you're not valuable. Let me go meet that person. And yeah. we can end that. We can end that together. Don't be that guy. <laughs> don't be that guy. I might call this don't be that guy. <laughs> don't be that guy. <laughs> Thank you so much, Scott. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Robbie. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Scott. Such a pleasure to speak with him and learn about his leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 88. That's also where you'll find all the links from today's episode. And don't forget to check out all of my free master classes. If you've been considering hosting a podcast, writing a book, or want to know how to launch your book successfully, you'll find them all at robbysamuels.com forward slash masterclass. If you enjoyed this episode with Scott, please share it with all your friends and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review on iTunes. It's easy to find our iTunes page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance, and I look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be interviewing another talented professional about their untold stories of leadership and networking. We'll explore their career challenges, work-life balance, and how they built a strong professional network on their way to becoming successful leaders. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.